This is the Cherryleaf Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cherryleaf Podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at COVID-19, the coronavirus, and what it might mean for the future of organisations and for the future of technical communication. My name's Alice Pratt. I'm one of the directors at Cherryleaf. What we're going to look at is how organisations might change during and after the lockdown, what that means or might mean for technical communication, some feedback and comments from others about this topic, and a little bit about how it's changing some of the things that we do at Cherryleaf. So we're not going to cover issues around individuals who may have been furloughed or laid off. So in this, we're going to be looking at outcomes, some of which could be positive and some of which that could be negative. And there has been some feedback saying, do you really want to go there? And perhaps this is rather a a worrisome topic to investigate or to discuss. Well, I hope that isn't the case. The Germans have a word called sachlich, which means to be objective, to be factual, And that's our objective, our goal here. The things that we're going to describe are possible outcomes. So we're going to make an assumption, and that is that COVID-19, the coronavirus, won't be eradicated immediately, that it's going to affect the world, affect us for at least six months, until hopefully we can get to the point where there'll be a vaccine that will be available to everyone. So let's start by looking at some of the impact that coronavirus has had and will have or might have on organisations. This is a time when there are fundamental changes to organisations. There was an interesting podcast I listened to by Donald Miller about how business models will change, that we're in a situation where we're experiencing 10 years of history in 10 weeks and that there are opportunities for some organisations. We've seen with Zoom, for example, how an organisation can make rapid changes in the amount of market share and sales that they can make at a time like this. And so for some organisations where they see opportunities, there's an opportunity to stake a claim to become the leader in a particular market sector, to act quickly and seize those opportunities. For some companies, it will be a case of prioritising cash and cash flow over profits, that there'll be a focus on streamlining the operational side of things so it is as efficient as possible and as good as possible at this moment in time. We talked about leadership and communication in episode 82, and it may be during this time that there needs to be considerations to whether the tone that you use in your communication needs to change. Where the readers, the audience are nervous and uncertain, there'll be a preference for clear, authoritative, trustworthy information. So funny content, light-hearted content 
may not be the appropriate tone at this time. People will favour information provided by experts, organisations that are seen to be competent and trustworthy. And there may be a desire from the audience to understand what's happening, to make sense and meaning of it all. Now, normally we can predict the future by knowing past actions and by what we do today, having a predictable effect in the future. In this current environment, that may not be true and people may want assurance that the direction, the clear intent, the goals of what an organisation wants and the motive as to why it's important to do something in a particular way may need to be explained in a clear way so that the audience can understand the future direction. By doing certain actions now, it will lead to certain events happening in the future. What we've seen from governments in the UK and the USA and elsewhere has been big projects rapidly thrown together to deal with the crisis, to manage the crisis. For example, in the USA, government relief for small businesses, and in the UK, the advice on the coronavirus that's been posted to the gov.uk website. For those projects where governments are sending out money, in particular to organisations and to people, there has been some teething troubles, some confusion, particularly with the small business relief scheme in the USA, and a need for clear policies to enable organisations to adopt these projects quickly and rapidly so that these small businesses, for example, can get the money quickly. And importantly, for those clear policies to exist so that the organisations helping these small companies get these loans, for example, the banks, know who is able to make a claim and who is not able to make a claim. So there's been a need for clear policies and for clear communications. So one of the biggest impacts of the virus is the potential for people to catch it. And the consequence of that is that team members, staff may not be working all the time. They may be absent from work because of them catching it and having to recover from the virus. So there may be an impact on the ability to provide a continuous service within departments or by organisation to customers. So people may need to take sick leave to recover from the coronavirus. They might need to take sick leave to support relatives that catch the virus. And unfortunately, there's a estimated mortality rate of 3%. And that's also a consideration that may impact on organisations as well. Hopefully that will happen to as few people as possible. So there is this big issue within organisations of ensuring continuity of service. On LinkedIn, Paul Ballard, who runs a technical writing company in the UK, posted some thoughts about this aspect. And he said that there was an article in The Economist that provided some evidence to his company's analysis that companies are needing to get creative about how to replace once reliable customer contact centres. And he wrote that enabling self-service online with easy to find information is part of the solution. 
and that that would lead to a growth in delivering clear content and information portals. Let me read out some extracts from this article in The Economist. It was called Please Hold. Call centres are overwhelmed, understaffed and overhauling how they work. Good luck trying to get in touch with a company these days. Those calling British Airways about a refund will find themselves hung up on an automated system immediately after they hear the words, we appreciate your understanding at this time. Virgin Media emailed its cable and broadband customers to ask them to avoid calling. Banks, insurance companies and this newspaper have issued similar requests to customers seeking support, directing them online instead. While call numbers have shot through the roof, call centres are closing. Coronavirus has put the industry, which employs some 1.3 million Britons, or about 4% of the workforce, in a particularly tight spot. Only 10-20% to of call centre employees typically work from home, reckons Anne-Marie Stagg of CCMA, an industry body. Many call centres take payments, making homeworking risky from a legal perspective. Yet if an on-site employee catches coronavirus, hundreds more may be taken offline, at least for a while. A Sky call centre in Cardiff was closed for a day after one worker was diagnosed with it in March. Other operators are reconfiguring their processes, often overnight. Serco, a big contractor for the public sector, has moved more than one-third of its call centre workers to home working. A census, a Scottish firm with 1,200 employees in Britain, had 10 such positions last month ago. Now 600 employees work from home. Ms Stagg says several insurance firms she has spoken to are preparing for 100% home-based call centres, even if it means providing fewer services over the phone. They're having to make the choice do we give no service or do we give some service, she says. The future of the industry is on the line. So we're likely to see a move away from live support lines to more self-service, self-support, knowledge-based systems where customers can find the answers for themselves rather than having to call a support line. And that we're likely to see more of people's knowledge that's currently in their heads documented so if they're unavailable to work that people have information they can refer to to continue doing that work without them being there. Another change that we're likely to see is more people working from home and the proof that it is possible even when people are trying to juggle working from home with other house members also doing the same and homeschooling and the like, that it is possible for more people to work from home than have done prior to the outbreak of the coronavirus. A consequence of that may be that if it's possible for somebody to work from home in London, equally it's possible to engage somebody who could work from home in Bangalore or Bogota or somewhere else. However, the opposite could also happen, that there's a desire to move away from having a globalised supply chain and to bring it closer in, to have it more local. And therefore, there may be a desire to have people who are working from home, but within the country that the organisation is operating in. And that can also have other benefits like everybody being on the same time zone.
So there may be a move towards having people working from home, but close still to the organisation. We'll have to see which way it goes on that. It's not easy to onboard and train new staff if they're not in an office. Obviously, it's a lot easier for them to find the toilets and the kitchen, but actually onboarding and understanding the systems can be trickier when you don't have the opportunity for being guided through that information by somebody. So that may lead to more onboarding information being documented so that people can onboard themselves. It may also mean that there is more e-learning based onboarding rather than one-to-one or classroom sessions. Another aspect of working at home mentioned in the Economist article is the issue of cybersecurity. So there are limitations to certain areas where people can or can't work from home. So what other changes have we seen or are we likely to see with the lockdown? For some countries, we're seeing the start of the return to work and that that is being phased in for certain types of shops or certain types of industries. And it may also be the case that people who are of a certain age, perhaps under 30, or those that have had the virus and have established some antibodies against it, are allowed to go back to work before others. A downside of that may be that certain groups are discriminated against unfairly. We have also seen changes with training. Training in a classroom at the moment is no longer possible. And so what that's led to has been adaptation of classroom courses so that they can be delivered over platforms such as Microsoft Teams, GoToMeeting, Zoom, Jitsi, Skype and the like. And that training split, rather than being a solid 9 to 5 or 9 to 4.30 block of time, that that live training split into sessions of perhaps two or three hours delivered over a series of days. And for some courses, it may be that it makes sense to deliver it as recorded e-learning videos rather than live sessions or to do the hybrid between recorded training and then have maybe office hours when students can ask the trainer any particular questions or there are exercises that people do having done some pre-course learning. Another obvious one has been with conferences and with the lockdown it's no longer possible to run face-to-face conferences. So we've seen a number of conferences switch to being online so that you can view the conference, view the speakers remotely and this may become a more permanent feature. It may be that conferences are a hybrid of both in attendance type offering and also the ability to view and attend remotely. However, there may be some limitations to this in terms of time zones, in that some people may be flying in to attend a conference because they want to acclimatize to the time zone that if they were in their own local country, they may have to stay up until maybe three or four in the morning. Okay, so let's move on to what does this mean for technical communicators? From what we've seen in the more general scheme of things for organisations, there's likely to be more knowledge, wisdom, information, 
policies, procedures documented rather than it being left in people's brains. So more policies and procedures, more knowledge portals, more content into knowledge portals as well. And in this environment where people may not be clear what they should do, where there may be some confusion, that there will be a need to make sure that things are clear and that things are communicated quickly and clearly to customers, stakeholders, or internally to staff. So time to market, the ability to create content and to get it published quickly will be important. So how efficient you are able to publish your tool chain will be one factor. And it could be an opportunity for technical communicators to lead, to take the initiative by creating some proof of concepts to show to people about how information can be communicated and resolve some of the issues they may be facing. So what types of proof of concepts could you be developing? Well, one might be to create some process flowcharts, some big picture type information that helps people access and find existing content that might be buried in a mass of loosely structured, hard to find information. So one approach could be to use a tool like Visio or Draw.io and create process flowcharts with hotspots for people to navigate. You could create templates for people to use if they are writing policies and procedures or documenting things. So it's easier and faster for them to create good, consistent content. You could offer an editing service to review and improve content that your team members are creating. Moving on from that, we've talked about that there could be an opportunity to create self-support help systems for people to build or create or extend knowledge bases. So there's things that you could do in that environment. You could create a simple process where people can create content in tools that they're familiar with today, like Word, and to ingest them, to take them into tools like Flare or RoboHelp, to restructure them and generate HTML websites or portals from those particular tools. Or you could set up a simple installation of a web-based tool like Confluence or Notion. And we talked about Notion in the podcast episode with Jen Lamborn. You could create some video walkthroughs to explain common tasks or offer yourself as a resource to support department or other departments to create simple walkthroughs on how to do certain actions, be it in the accounts department or some other department. Or develop the WalkMe type videos that can be connected to an application itself, shows you where to go within particular screens within an application. If time is available, there may be scope for using metadata to tag information to make it easier for other tools to filter and link data together. So those may be opportunities where you can create a little proof of concept or a pilot, show people something that's concrete that they can grasp and see that can benefit them, benefit the organization. And for the content itself that will be on these self-service support systems in your help content, 
it may be a good time to liaise with the support line staff, look at the analytics and see what are the common questions that are going to the support team and seeing whether that content has been documented so that customers have an alternative route to phoning the support line and that that information is easy for customers to find. We posted some messages on social media saying we were going to be looking at this topic on one of our episodes of the Charity Podcast and asking people to share their thoughts on this. And we had a number of responses from different people, particularly on LinkedIn. So what I'd like to do is just read out some of the comments. So Liz Gregory, who is a technical author at TV1 in the UK, said, I've been blown away by the number of emails I've had from companies imploring me to use their online help rather than calling them. Sarah Feldman, who was on one of our recent episodes on the podcast, said, Perhaps there'll be an increased demand for technical communication that enables distributed or remote workforces to perform. James Hansen, a content development and migration expert, said, Self-service help platforms would require well-organised and indexed bases of knowledge, which is something I've been dreaming about for as long as I can remember. Imagine if users could find answers to 90% of their questions without agent assistance. Amanda Lindsay, director and freelance technical author, said, One trend I'm seeing now is the requirement for documentation or better documentation about remote payments. As small businesses, such as restaurants, switch to a takeout slash delivery model to survive. This includes the security aspects around remote payment where the cardholder isn't present. Cybersecurity is, of course, always important, but sadly we're seeing an increase in attacks, especially phishing scams. So there's a need for comms around that. Florimond Alamps in France, who has a job title Responsable de Projet, said many individuals leave companies every day. Since baby boom, when things were slower, many employees learnt tons of things. As they quit their job, voluntarily or not, because they retire, because they want to change context, companies lose knowledge. Companies get some results, brackets, files, with a few clues on what led to them. Turnover can get higher, changes might go faster, some can temporarily experienced or anticipated. It's more than time to get tooled to manage knowledge differently. For those using a software as a service application are more resilient, less dependent from geography, local or global, more collaborative and scalable, for sure. Desktop is dead. Who is ready for the worst is comfortable in normality. Technical writers should focus on knowledge or immaterial assets of companies, not on the font of headers and footers. Delegating to a platform the knowledge of a company is a choice. Suzanne Marshall, lead technical author at Dentsu IGIS Network, said, Paul Ballard's suggestion is also relevant for development teams. I'm finding that offshore teams are referencing the knowledge center I've created to create better documentation and are much happier contributing to make the guidance better 
than they seemed to be before COVID-19. Tanya Lorber, Senior Technical Editor at Stegman Systems said, with so many people working from home, virtual training and the processes around these trainings will also be impacted, in my opinion, getting started with a software when you don't have colleagues around you to guide you is definitely something we have to consider as a use case. And John Mowat wrote, many organizations and businesses are anxious to get back to in-person interaction. There will be many who realized benefits by pivoting towards self-serve computer augmented offerings and will continue to build on those into the future. And on LinkedIn, he provided a link to an article he'd written about chatbots and their application within the retail sector. Larry Kuntz wrote, we'll probably never return to the old paradigm of co-workers located in the same office space, interacting in meeting rooms and less formally in the break area or on the patio. Those interactions have long been a way for technical communicators to build collegial relationships, both with each other and with subject matter experts. Now we'll need to find new ways to assert ourselves, demonstrate our value and earn, at least in the eyes of the SMEs, our place at the table. For the introverts among us, it could be daunting. Fortunately, many of us already work with remote teams, often in different countries and time zones. We've learnt skills for building and sustaining those working relationships without sharing the same physical space. Now we'll need to apply those skills more often and more intentionally. And in TC World magazine, Karina Melville wrote, the coronavirus will neither exterminate humankind nor permanently stamp out our most characteristic traits. Our yearn to travel and explore every corner of our planet, our drive to advance the technologies we have developed, and above all, our desire to socialise and engage with each other face to face, not just app to app. There is no VR headset that can even remotely replace the beauty of the real world. There is no artificial intelligence that can substitute the face to face conversation with our childhood friend. Anita Dekanich wrote, working from home provides you with an opportunity to be creative and develop new approaches and new solutions for your daily life as well as for your work. Smita Menon, a content architect, said, COVID has highlighted how remote working infrastructure is sadly not optimal and the lack of digital and automated processes to ensure complete BCP. BCP being, I presume, business continuity planning. But we can look forward to organisations learning from their shortcomings and implementing remote working as not just an interim measure, but a long-term enablement strategy. This will increase the demand for techies, IT experts and technical communicators. While communication across digital channels, social media and messaging platforms is at its peak due to social distancing and lockdown precautions, the post-lockdown period will also ensure that communicators are kept busy. After all, while all organisations and businesses try to rush back to full-scale operations and efficiency, 
can the experts who showcase this to the world at large through their writings be left behind? Colin McAndrew wrote, one question I'm hearing more and more is, do we need to be office-based? Although this isn't a question directly related to technical communications, it is an interesting one. Perhaps it applies to tech firms more than other verticals, but this pandemic has illustrated that it is possible to work from home with some planning and thought. And Mario Chavez wrote, there are types of knowledge that are very difficult to document, like the so-called tribal knowledge, or knowledge that consists of habits, personal and collectivized experience and wisdom, brackets, although some people keep confusing experience with wisdom, and artisan knowledge, just like the open office fad can actually be a good solution for some teams and some companies, working from home works wonders if we recognise it is not a panacea or a universal technology-based solution. We are human beings. We crave physical and emotional contact. Perhaps different kinds of working from home can evolve from this pandemic experience. And Craig Wright wrote, I hope it has opened up some organisation's eyes to the reality of home working. I have worked from home for years without any problems communicating with others. So I said I'd mention some of the things that are happening at Cherry Leaf, like all organisations we're having to adapt also. Project work is still continuing and we've seen an upturn on the training side of things, but we're still needing to make changes and adapt the types of things that we're doing. For the classroom courses that we offer, we now are able to offer those over the internet with a live trainer using tools like Microsoft Teams. For the e-learning courses, we've, as I've mentioned on a previous podcast episode, we've been asked to make it possible for organisations to make group bookings for their staff so that they can take the courses and we've done that and we've had a number of organisations book up their staff for different courses. We've made some changes to our website and offerings relating to policies and procedures. And we've added onto that page a quiz, a policies and procedures readiness quiz that people can take. And in terms of the future, one of the things that we need to do that's clear from the feedback that people have said about the opportunity to push the idea of self-service information to help deal with the issue of shortages of staff on support lines. That's something that we need to push and promote as an offering or solution to that particular problem. So most of the changes relate to marketing and the way in which we deliver training. The mechanism by which we do project writing services and recruitment they have stayed or are staying at the moment essentially the same. So what do you think? We've looked at quite a bit there in terms of the implications and effects of the coronavirus, how it's affecting organisations in general, and some aspects in terms of telecommunications, opportunities for us to work. You can share your thoughts by contacting us 
via info at cherryleaf.com or you can add your comments to the threads that we've posted onto LinkedIn. If you look for my name, Ellis Pratt, you should see the chat, the discussion that's been going on with different people commenting. So again, thank you for listening.